Welcome back to The Pilgrim Soul, a podcast about the journey of faith in the world of today. I'm your host, Adriana. And I'm Juliana. And today we're really excited to bring you an episode on discernment. This has been a long time coming for Juliana and I. We'd planned to do this episode last season, but (laughs) life happened and are just really excited to talk about discernment. It is so important in the Christian journey to discern well, to be able to hear God's voice. And as Christians, obviously, we all want to live God's will for our lives. But often the question I hear and I've posed before God is, what do you want me to do with my life? And it can seem like this really big, ominous question. And today we kind of want to break it down and really talk about discernment in every single moment of life that helps us to ultimately discern the big questions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really excited about this topic too, in part because as you were saying, discerning God's will for our lives is never something that ends, but something that is put before us at every stage um, of our path towards Christ. And so it's also something that I'm always learning more about myself and learning how to hear God's voice and how to follow his will for my life. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts, Adriana, and hopefully learn through this episode too. Yes. One thing I love about Father Giussani is that he's helped me so much in the path of discernment. The School of Community, which is the weekly gathering, is both educative in what we're reading, but also in hearing and sharing the experiences with others, which is what Father Chisani understood so well is that we need each other to discern Mm -hmm. God's will. And that, if we haven't been clear, is what discernment is. We're discerning God's will Mm -hmm. for our lives and we're discerning how to live the Christian life well. And that isn't cookie cutter. It looks dramatically different for all of us. If you're worried that God's calling you to one path of life that looks exactly uniform to everyone else just look at the diversity of the saints yeah and the dramatic difference between saint francis of assisi and saint catherine drexel saint francis of assisi devoted his entire life to poverty the franciscans still have a beautiful charism for poverty and then you have saint catherine drexel an american saint who was actually a millionaire and kept her money to open schools in the United States mm-hmm. and used that for God, but she didn't consider that an evil. Mm-hmm. That's so true. The saints are kings and queens and missionaries, little children. They really show the diversity of paths and vocations. But at the same time, our fundamental vocation is, as Jusani would put it, we're called to be Christians Mm -hmm. and we are called to Christ and to witness Christ in the world. And then, as you were saying, each of us is invited to live that in a particular way. Mm -hmm. And those invitations can come in the form of a big decision about a state of life, whether you're called to be a lay person in the church or religious, whether you're called to the single or the married life. Um, But those invitations also come as Adriana, you were saying at the beginning, they come in small ways Mm -hmm. in every aspect of our life. We're invited to go deeper into our experience and into our relationship with Christ. 
Um, so hopefully we hope to talk about all these different kinds of discernment and, you know, examples from our own lives of what it's looked like for us and what we're working on. And I think that it would be helpful to start with, you know, if we if we understand discernment in this way as uncovering the will of God for our life um, in both the big and the small things, you know, where do we start? What is the first starting point when we realize that this is something that we aspire to? For me... St. Ignatius of Loyola is a real patron saint of discernment, Mm -hmm. both in general and then in particular for my own life. I've been so moved by – he has a text of rules, 13 rules of discernment, and those were really opened up for me in a a book by Father Gallagher called The Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide for Living, that – helped me to just become more aware Mm. of every moment in my life. And I think that to bring it back to what's the starting point, the starting point is becoming aware of our Mm -hmm. experience. And it sounds so simple. That's where St. Ignatius starts, that we first have to become aware. And perhaps it seems too simple, but I think when you break it down, you realize that Oftentimes, we don't live with an awareness of our present reality, Mm -hmm. and we're not trained to. The culture doesn't invite that. It invites more of a diversionary life, living outside, being very active, moving from one project to the other, producing as much as we can, and kind of this nonstop lifestyle that also includes an element of instant gratification that we've become so accustomed to in social media and technology that it's hard to really sit with ourselves and let ourselves do the slow work of becoming really aware of the interior movements of our heart. Mm -hmm. I like this quote from Pascal, and he says something like, I've often said that the only cause of man's unhappiness in life is his inability to sit alone in a room by himself. Mm. (laughs) And I think it's really true that I've seen that in myself when at times in my life where I was living away from my faith that it was really challenging for me to sit quietly and let myself really become aware of all my actions Mm -hmm. and where my heart was in all of those yeah, I think that that's a really insightful point. And even though it sounds simple, this happens to me all the time where I become so caught up in whatever is going on externally or so distracted that I miss uh, what's going on internally. So I think it's important, as you were saying, to be intentional about taking this time to reflect and to sit in silence and to be aware of our experience and to really look at it. For me, these kinds of moments or these kinds of practices are not just important for being introspective and reflecting on my experience or my heart, but also important in making me available to hear God's voice. Mm -hmm. He often speaks to us in the silence of our hearts and in our experience. And so if we're living in this kind of transitory, one thing to the other kind of way, we miss how he's working in our life, and we also miss his voice in our hearts. Yeah, and I think it just speaks also to the increased anxiety we see in our culture because Mm. it takes courage to let yourself become spiritually aware, and it takes a reckoning with our own existence. I mean, as soon as we become aware, I think it's Kierkegaard who says that the only anxiety is really the anxiety of our own mortality. 
that Mm. every time we enter into our own hearts, we see that we're limited and we're going to die. And Mm -hmm. what does this all mean? And unless we have an encounter with Christ, the light that shines in the darkness, then we're always going to avoid our interior experience because I think we're ultimately afraid that it's only darkness. And we, mm-hmm. like you said, miss Christ speaking to us, miss his promise of the resurrection, not just the literal resurrection, which obviously is so important, but the resurrection of today, mm-hmm. of our choices, of what he's calling us to. Yeah. Well, I also think when we're talking about discernment in particular, I think sometimes, and I know this happens to me, I can be afraid of what, if I pose the question to God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? And I promise him that I'll give him everything. I'm scared of what he's going to respond. I'm afraid of what that's going to mean for myself and my preconceptions and my comfort. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think at the root of this fear is a forgetfulness. I forget that he has promised us the resurrection and he has promised us an, a life in abundance here on earth and not just in eternal life. Um, and I forget, you know, that he is our good shepherd who we can trust and who leads us. I think that's such an important point and so true that we're afraid of what God's going to say and we lack trust we're humans and we need a Mm -hmm. constant reminder of his love and affection for us but also i think that brings us to what you were saying about being available to hear god's voice and say yes to god in the very small ways Mm. because when we make a habit of little yeses to god when we wake up giving a morning offering to god or doing morning prayer or sticking to those routines maybe it's just one Hail Mary, or maybe you are able to go to Mass every day, and that's your little yes, then by the time you get to a big yes, you've made so many little yeses, that is just another yes in a way. I think of my marriage to Brian as a really clear example of that. When we first started dating, obviously there was enormous mutual attraction, Mm -hmm. and I'm prone to the tendencies of every Jane Austen reader of <laughs> <laughs> immediately wondering if I'm going to marry that person. And I'm sure I did that with Brian and I wasn't prepared to say yes. And it seems like such an enormous question when you first start dating. Mm-hmm. But we continued to say little yeses to each other that led ultimately to his proposal. And at that point, it seemed so of, like, of course, I would say yes. And we continued to say yes in the journey of engagement. And then when we were on the altar, it was just another small yes Mm -hmm. that was built upon a consistency of yeses throughout our whole dating life. And I think that's an expression of discernment in general, Mm -hmm. that these small moments of yes lead to us being able to make the large sacrificial yeses that God ultimately calls us to. Mm Mm-hmm. I really like what you're saying. I also tend to be very, I don't know the right word, maybe idealistic or a romantic. And I always imagine my following God's will or my giving something over to God as this 
I, I want it to be something grand and something great. And mm-hmm. I, in prayer, I promise him all these things. You know, one of my favorite prayers is a St. Ignatius of Loyola's sushi pray prayer where he says, take Lord and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. And then it goes on. I love this prayer. I prayed it all the time. And then I started in prayer replacing these nouns with things I felt actually called that day to give to God. So like take Lord and receive my desire to do well on this exam or my fertility for this month or whatever it was. And I found it so much more difficult to pray that version of the prayer than this one that promises God all your entire will because it makes it concrete and it breaks it down into these little yeses or these little surrenders that I was being called to do. And that was harder because it was real. And I think that you're right, that that's where we grow. And that's also where God speaks to us often. I mean, some of us are sometimes... We may have these lightning bolt moments where everything becomes clear or we can wait for them. But I think very often he speaks to us in the incremental and in the gradual and in the quiet and the slow, exactly as you were saying, you know, the first date and then the second date and then the third, Mm -hmm. even if maybe I would have been waiting for like a lightning bolt moment that maybe would never come. And then you just, one day you wake up and you have this quiet certainty. Yes. Um, And I think that that's really important to emphasize because... I do think that's often how he speaks to us, and that's how we hear his voice. Yeah, so to continue, obviously the importance of prayer in becoming aware, but once you become aware of these internal movements of your heart, we need to understand them in light of God. And if we're going to understand them at all, we need God's help, because we don't really know ourselves if not for God. Mm -hmm. St. Ignatius of Loyola would call this understanding the movements of the soul. Mm. And I think prayer is a primary source for hearing God's voice, but also the liturgy and in particular the mass. Mm. And for me, I mean, there's just enormous lack of catechesis around the mass. And if we really knew what was happening at the mass and how it's like training our whole person, even Mm -hmm. this will just be so limited, but, At Mass, we hear reading from Scripture proclaimed by another person through the church, and that's literally God speaking to us. I mean, God is speaking to us at the Mass. We hear him in the liturgy of the Word. Mm -hmm. And then we participate with our bodies. And this is something that's really true of Catholicism, that Catholic teaching understands that we need to be trained both in our hearts and minds and with our bodies to live God's will. Mm -hmm. That we're not just like minds floating around. We can't just say, you know, I went for a really nice hike on Sunday and the peak was my church today. I'll see stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's a more robust theology at work in the liturgy beyond just a mental conversion over to God. We're practicing literally with our bodies, with our posture of prayer, And with the uniformity of it with one another, there's an obedience that's practiced both to your fellow parishioner and to the church at large. Mm -hmm. And also, we bring forth the sacrifice of the bread and wine that Christ takes from us and transforms into his body that we can be nourished upon 
And that's, again, literally the transformation of ourselves into other Christs, but also just the practice of receiving Christ in us and letting that transform us slowly and gradually and then being sent out into the world and doing it again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And to bring that to discernment, I think Mass and the frequenting of Mass and the Church's recognition that we need to go for the health of our souls every Sunday is the practice of a yes, a yes to God, Mm -hmm. a yes to Christ giving over the authority to the church to determine how we conform our bodies and what we listen to and the reception of him in the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. I know that's a lot on the liturgy, but I feel very strongly (laughs) that if we aren't giving ourselves over to the mass, we're missing this just essential place where God speaks to us and God calls us Mm -hmm. and nourishes us and enables us to say yes to him. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I like this idea of what God invites us to and what the church proposes in the liturgy is in some way like a template for our education of God's word of sacrificing our own lives to God. And it also is an experience, a real tangible experience of unity with Christ when we receive him in the sacraments. There are sacramental graces that we receive from that, from receiving the Eucharist and also from going to confession. Mm -hmm. And those in a very real way, you know, not in an abstract or a hypothetical or a nice idea kind of way, unite us to Christ and bring us closer to him and, you know, allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And so that's absolutely indispensable if you're trying to hear his voice, because what better way than uniting yourself to him Mm -hmm. uh, and uniting yourself to him through the church? Yes, thank you. I love what you said. I love the word template. It is a template, a complete template, and also the experience. What for you have been opportunities for big discernment, and how have you heard Christ's voice? So, I mean, when you were talking about the liturgy and thinking about prayer in general, I was thinking about times in the past where I had been externally practicing my faith, but then in reality, living a life further from the heart of the church. Mm -hmm. And that time, I look back and I see that it was a time of great confusion where discernment was much more difficult simply because I didn't have this availability towards God's will in my life. I wasn't listening for his voice and I wasn't even asking him to make his voice known to me in that moment. And Mm -hmm. our God is a merciful God. And so he nonetheless broke into my life in very dramatic ways in order to make the right path known to me. But my lack of a predisposition to his will made those moments very painful because I wasn't, I didn't have that freedom and that availability to respond. And I was also very further entrenched in like circumstances and relationships that I wasn't called to. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas if I had been discerning, I think that I would have not wounded yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That totally resonates 
with my own experience and also just the very first rule of St. Ignatius of Loyola is that if you're not living a life of grace, then the accuser often tempts you further into sin by making the sin itself seem attractive. Mm. And God tries to call you back through the stinging and pricking of your conscience. Mm-hmm. And it's often painful. Mm-hmm. And conversely, if you are living a life of grace, the accuser tries to draw you out of that through sorrow and despair and desolation while God mm. spurs you on with his consolation. So it works in opposing ways. And it's really easy to see what I love about St. Ignatius is he developed these rules from the experience of his own life, from living just the life of the world. He was, by all accounts, like a gentleman and a soldier and an attractive man and a kind of a womanizer. And he was really attracted to that. And he had a time of convalescence. He was hit by a cannonball in the leg <laughs> and was left in a hospital bed for a really long time. And during that time, had an enormous conversion to Christ because the only books that were available were books on the saints. So he started just reading their heroism and was so moved. But he could see that when he wasn't living that life of grace, when he was pursuing womanizing or whatever it was, that was attractive to him. And in those moments when God broke in to his spiritual awareness, he probably felt a stinging in his conscience, mm-hmm. um, just as I did. And it's hard to sit with that, and it takes courage to sit with that. And sometimes God breaks through, literally, with I guess, with a cannonball in your leg, <laughs> but also <laughs> metaphorically of these moments where, like, pay attention. You're gaining the whole world but losing your soul. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The first example of discerning a major decision with the proper approach was discerning marriage with my husband. And for me, I really shifted from this this approach that I was just describing to viewing discernment as asking the right question and applying the right criterion, which was, is my relationship with him, is it leading me to heaven? Is Christ proposing himself through my husband? Or at that point, he was my boyfriend um, in my life. And This is another thing that maybe it sounds so simple. People are listening to this like, yeah, obviously that's what you should have been asking. But it's really easy. It was really easy for me when I was dating before to just ask instead, is this making me happy? Or do I love this person? Mm -hmm. Or does this person have the qualities I want in a husband? And those are important things. I'm not saying they're not important. But everything kind of shifted for me when I started orienting it around a bigger question, a question that was the question that my whole life should be asking. Mm -hmm. And once I did, you know, the answer became clear and my happiness and my love for him and his virtues were signs and were, you know, further experiences that allowed me to verify this hypothesis that I had, but they weren't then in and of themselves the question or the hypothesis. Yeah, and... It would have been hard, if not impossible, to ask that question and answer it truthfully if you hadn't been asking that question in the small matters of your life, too. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's been a really important transition because I think that finer attunement to every moment of my life has become more and more pronounced 
in marriage because I'm now in my vocation and I'm a mother of two children. Right. And I'm not discerning any major changes. Mm -hmm. I think God has continued to affirm my decision to leave employment and stay at home with the children right now. Mm -hmm. So it has prompted me to transition how I look at discernment and recognize even more the importance of I'm still discerning. I'm still called to follow God in these Mm -hmm. in my life. And particularly, he's asking me in each moment, can I see him? And before becoming a mom and then in the Master of Divinity program at Notre Dame and before that, I've really organized my prayer life around daily mass. Mm-hmm. And that has become so much more difficult with a two-year-old and a six-month-old. <laughs> and I'm really blessed. My two-year-old, he loves mass. He asks to go to church every single morning. Oh, that's so sweet. But he loves getting there. He loves the whole experience of driving to church and walking up the stairs. And then pretty much like after the priest enters, he likes saying like priest and then... <laughs> We're probably like in the first reading and he's like, all done. I'm ready to go home. (laughs) (laughs) And then the rest of the mass is kind of spent like trying to contain him, I guess. (laughs) And it can be a less than contemplative experience, which is what I had loved about mass before. (laughs) So it's really called upon me to be realistic about what we can do. So essentially, we try to go to daily mass once a week now, not every day. Mm -hmm. But on the other days, I still need nourishment for my soul. And I've had to adjust my heart and adjust my expectations to the seasonality of life. And it has made me more aware, this is a roundabout way, but it has made me more aware of how I waste time in other ways that I do actually have spaces of quiet throughout the day where the children are sleeping or they're playing. Mm -hmm. Often I think, okay, in those spaces of quiet, I'm going to take a few minutes to pray or journal or sit and read a devotional that I love. And instead, I spend that time reading the news on my phone or checking my Instagram or texting someone Mm -hmm. or just sitting there and doing absolutely nothing. And I lose that period and I found that I afterwards I'm left more anxious and in more of a state of kind of desolation that St. Ignatius, that's the term he would use. Mm. And it helped me to recognize in a way that I think perhaps wasn't as present to me before motherhood because I could go to daily mass pretty easily and I could also fit in an hour on Instagram pretty easily, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) But now I can't. And with these moments, I need to be intentional in giving them over. And if I don't, I can at least become aware in my own heart that, oh, there's this anxiety here. And I can see God calling me to the consolation of his peace and to just sit with him and be still with him in those moments. So it's been an invitation for me to really reconsider my presence on social media and to Mm. remove it off of my phone. Social media isn't bad in itself. Perhaps we could have said this earlier, but discernment is only discernment when you're discerning good things. Oh, yeah. 
Right. Otherwise, like you, you should just do the good thing. You don't, you don't need to discern. If you're faced with a bad thing and a good thing, yes, it's not discernment. Right. And in this case, I mean, I don't think social media in and of itself is a bad thing. I, I love Bishop Barron on social media, for example. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, it was becoming a source of distraction and a way to escape an interior presence and quiet. Yeah. And it was leading to an apathy and an anxiety around my day. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's really helpful to have an example of discerning something smaller. I'm sure is something that so many women who transition into the stage of motherhood have experienced as well. There's so much there. But one thing that I was thinking about as you were talking is this is such an example of how God calls us, as you were saying, in the present moment. He didn't call you one time to marry Brian or to become a mother to Damien and then stop calling you. And he's not only going to call you in the future when you and Brian together have to make a big decision, Mm -hmm. but he's calling you every single day in different ways, in these little ways. This is how he, he called his first disciples. Um, he asked them, what are you looking for? And then he invited them to come and see. He invited them to come speak with him and eat with him and travel with him. He didn't say like, here's what I'm about. This is my mission. This is what life is with me is going to look like. Go home and think about whether you mm-hmm. how you're going to respond to this. But it was like a daily encounter with Christ as they worked with him. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because is it – it's the brothers of Zebedee that are asking to sit at the right hand of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And they're quarreling. And he says, like, you don't know what cup I'm asking you to drink, but you will drink from this cup. Exactly. And they kind of don't understand. Yeah. And Jesus knows, like, they're going to be called to martyrdom eventually. But it's not It's not what he, he begins with and, like, hands them a pamphlet. Of, <laughs> this is what martyrdom is. <laughs> yeah. This is what it would look like to join my movement. Yeah. You decide and come back exactly and the other thing you know the other really important point i think that your story raises is that and this is related but god calls us in the circumstances that we're already in like your motherhood or your marriage they're not obstacles to what god wants for you but they're exactly the path and they're exactly the circumstances in which you are called to go deeper And I think St. Francis de Sales talks about this a lot. And he says that true devotion perfects and fulfills all things, all states of life. If you have taken a permanent sacramental vow before God, further discernment is going to help you perfect that. If you are a mother, further discernment in the daily life is going to help you become a good and holy mother. It's not going to take you away from the duties that you already have of motherhood. Mm -hmm. And so this is a good, maybe like guardrails that you can use to test various decisions and say, you know, rather than just thinking about like, is a holy hour in and of itself good? Of course it is. But is it good for your circumstances and the commitments that God has placed in your life and the vows you have taken in your own life? Because that's where we're called. We're called to be obedient to our circumstances and not to like fight against them and to run away from them to something else, even if that other thing is objectively good. Yeah. And I would add C.S. Lewis 
he says this comparison is the thief of joy. And I think that's the accuser. Yes. <laughs> to make us even compare ourselves to our past selves, which I can do of like, oh, I used to be able to go to mass all the time. Yeah. And now I can't. And feel sorrow about that. And that is not of God. And we can do that with one another. Like this person next to me is able to make all these commitments or to be involved in all these ministries. And Mm -hmm. I can't right now, whether it be my vocation as a mother or you and your vocation to your work right now. These are realities of our life and they're good realities. And Christ isn't asking us to feel sorrowful over them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One place where this exact thing has come up in my life has been in marriage discerning together with another person. It requires a bit of a transition to viewing discernment in a different way. And the first time that I was faced with it, it was difficult for me because I was used to, you know, engaging in this process of prayer and listening for God's voice, reflecting on my experience, and then coming to a decision about what was best um, or what I was called to do. And, you know, I remember the first time that my husband and I were faced with a big decision and we both were discerning it and we had come to opposite conclusions about what was right. Hmm. And like my initial reaction was he has to be wrong. Like he must not have prayed enough or something like that because I know what God is asking me to do. But that completely ignores that you know, we're called to be obedient to our marriage and to our bond with each other, even when it means that it wasn't the decision that I had come to on my own. Um, You know, this happened when we were deciding where I should go to law school and I really didn't want to go to Stanford. I didn't want to live in California. I had come to this decision that going to this other school was better and my husband hadn't. And so we had to work through that in a completely new way. But, you know, I learned since then to see his discernment as a way that God speaks to me and a way that God is calling me and not a constraint on my own process of discernment. Yeah, that's a beautiful and a helpful way to frame kind of any sort of marital conflict. Mm -hmm. Another aspect I wanted to touch on about discernment is the verification of our discernment by the fruits in our own life. Oh, yeah. Where we can see that this indeed is what God has called me to. Mm -hmm. I don't want to make it seem, I guess, like it's black and white because I think God can call us to really challenging things. Yeah. And it can continue to be a challenge. When my husband and I discerned moving to Boise, we actually hadn't been to Boise before or spent any time here, but we wanted to move back to the Northwest that was really on our hearts And we just did not have any peace about moving to Seattle or Portland, Mm -hmm. just the difficulty of raising a large family there. And somebody had mentioned Boise to us as a really family-oriented community that was up and coming and we'd probably really like it. So we started praying with it and had a lot of peace with the decision to move, but it was really difficult. I had a really hard pregnancy followed by a postpartum hemorrhage, Mm. and then we moved when my son was a month old. And I had no foresight of how difficult that would be (laughs) ahead of time. Wow. We landed in Boise. We moved into an apartment while we were house hunting. And it was all just really difficult. We didn't know anyone there. Our families were still a a good distance away. I was still dealing with these totally unforeseen health challenges and felt a lot of sorrow and fear about leaving my established medical care 
for this totally unknown place. Mm-hmm. But had felt very confirmed in the decision to move to Idaho. So I had to pray with both of those. And also, I like you were saying previously, my husband never wavered. He felt very confirmed in that decision to move also. And it was mm-hmm. definitely days of obedience to a decision that had been previously made. I could see very clearly that God was not calling me to return to South Bend. Mm -hmm. It was even true that the life I desired was no longer there. Like all of my friends had graduated. Sophia had moved to Cambridge. Yeah. I wouldn't be returning to this idyllic community of my memory. And I had to do the slow work of putting myself out there and entering new social situations and really trying hard to make friends with a newborn that takes time and Mm -hmm. effort and is filled with ups and downs. But within that, there were real moments of consolation, both within our marriage and then just God's continued faithfulness to us as we search for a house and tiny miraculous moments where we weren't the highest offer on our home, but the seller was a Catholic woman and she'd heard we were a young Catholic family that wanted to live within walking distance to the Catholic church And she was so moved by that that she chose our offer. And we hadn't told her that we were Catholic. She found out in a different way. That just felt like such a clear sign of God's providence. And we saw it as his like tender care for us through the community of others. And there were so many moments like that. That's just one small Mm -hmm. but also enormous one as I sit in our (laughs) home. I'm so glad you brought this up. Adriana, because I think it's a really common pitfall. It's very easy to try to verify whether something is right by asking like whether it's satisfying to you or it's mentally fulfilling for a job or it's emotionally fulfilling for a relationship or something like that. But I think that it's reductive because you're right. Our path to Christ is not necessarily meant to be the easiest one Mm -hmm. or the one that is most comfortable or where we're most content, but sometimes we're called to very difficult things. The fruits that we can verify are fruits that are not necessarily of this world. So for example, the deep peace and a joy that you can have from following Christ with your whole heart, like he says, the peace he gives us is not the peace that the world gives us. Mm -hmm. And so our emotions and our desires are helpful, but we have to be careful about being precise about what exactly those emotions and desires are and whether they are the ones through which he can call us, through which we can verify that we're turning away from him. Mm -hmm. Um, And this goes back to what we said at the beginning, right? About like being aware and reflecting on your experience. Yes. Thank you. I love the emphasis on precision and the reference of it's not the peace of this world that Christ gives us. It is something that you have to verify in your own experience. It's hard to like. Yeah, exactly. I can share, you know, to you, Julie, or to our listeners, like I've had that deep peace. And it's just an invitation for you in your own heart to look and search for that deep peace within yourself. Yeah. As verification. Yeah, exactly. The last thing that I wanted to say, I wanted to emphasize the role of our own freedom in these kinds of decisions. Yes. Again, when we're discerning between two goods. Um, and we're seeking God's will. He delights in our desire to do his will and our pursuit of it. And he will use either path that we choose 
for his glory. If we forget this, I've seen this happen. It's happened to, my, to me. We can become really paralyzed when we're faced by a choice and we feel like we don't know what we're called to do. Um, or we think we might know, but we're not 100% certain and we wanted to be 100% certain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been in those circumstances and I've been paralyzed and the deadline for the decision is approaching and it's very anxiety inducing for me. And uh, what helps is to remember and to reflect on God's love of my freedom that sometimes, well, he always leaves us free, but there are sometimes for decisions, big or small, where I think we may not hear his voice as clearly as in other decisions. Mm -hmm. And in those moments, we have to just trust in him and trust that he's working in our life and, you know, commit to something. Yes, I totally agree with that. Yeah, we're so tempted to abstract thought so we can think like, oh, but if I made this choice, it could lead to these possibilities. Or yes, if we decided to move to Salt Lake City instead, like what if that would have – and it's all these unrealities. Yeah. And God would have worked with that choice too, but we we made a different choice that was also good and God works with this choice. Yeah. And to be not so afraid of that. Yeah, I think that's such a great point. Yeah, I love, on this note, I love the story of St. Francis of Assisi, who obviously a very great saint, like truly um, so Christ-like, so close to God. When he was in prayer one time in Assisi, he he heard God say, rebuild my church. Francis, rebuild my church. Mm-hmm. And he like took that literally and he thought that God meant renovate the church that he was praying in. And so he did. And then... God continued speaking to him and helped him learn that God was asking him to, on a very much bigger level, rebuild the church and reform (laughs) the church. But you know, like he worked with that and St. Francis, he didn't get it right the first time. Rebuilding the church physically was not a bad thing. He did it. God worked with it. And he still brought him where he meant to be. So he's doing that in all of our lives too. (laughs) Thanks for that story. Well, on that note, Let's move to our media recommendation and weekly challenge. Yeah. Um, For our weekly challenge, if you are facing a decision currently, our challenge is to pray for holy indifference, which is a term from St. Ignatius of Loyola, again, which means that you are so completely disposed to God's will for your life that you are equally happy with either outcome and it really frees you to follow his will. Um, and it, and if nothing comes to mind for you, if there's not a particular decision that you're discerning, the challenge would be to just do an examination of conscience. Um, reflect on your day at the end of the day and pay attention to what happened to you and maybe invitations that God is posing to you in your day. Yes, love those challenges. Thank you, Julie. Our media recommendation is the song Hopeless Wanderer by Mumford & Sons. Well, that's all we have for today. Know of our prayers for you. If you haven't, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review for other listeners to find us. We will join you next week for another episode of Pilgrim Soul.